Hello and welcome to the Morning New View podcast. I'm Jackie Oatley and with us as ever, the Athletics Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent, Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. Hello, it's mate. Now, we do quite like doing this podcast, don't we? I mean... No, no, it's, just, it's, it's my favourite day of the week. I'm trying to play it down. I'm trying to be cool. About, about this week's guest? Well, just about the pod generally, yeah. You know, we, we, you know, we do, it's a job, isn't it? Someone has to do it. But we just happen to have a guest on this week who we both idolised growing up. Can we say that? Or are you going to play it yes. cool? You are. <laughs> you're trying to play it cool. <laughs> he's one of our favourite players. Okay, he's in my top three all-time Wolverhampton Wanderers players. So I'm not playing it cool at all. So much so that I actually wrote to him once and he sent me back a signed photograph, and I'll never forget that because I don't think anybody else ever did. It is. Well, it, was only, it was only last year, to be fair. <laughs> Not far, a year before. Mickey Mickey Stowell in our goal, in our goal. Mickey Mickey Stowell. So he was the Wolves goalkeeper for over a decade and throughout the entire 1990s. And he was a huge personality to him, wasn't he? As well as being a fantastic goalkeeper. Oh, he was great. Everybody loved him. You couldn't help but love him. He was just such a regular dependable fixture between the sticks but yes such um in the days before the internet and youtube and whatnot you know people could still um access his vibrant personality via those famous videos that used to get on the away coach and end of season reviews and stuff like that and yeah he was every, everybody loved him uh, yeah 10 10 years of um incredible consistency what a keeper he was Absolutely fantastic player. And uh, he doesn't do many interviews, so we'll be looking forward to talking to him in just a moment. First of all, Tim, how are you? Keeping well? What is it, eight weeks now of lockdown? Tim Towers? Yeah, I'm sat on a different part of the sofa today just just to mix things up. Um, just to, you know, just to do something <laughs> It's the different. same part of the sofa you speak to us in every week on, isn't it? You've hidden your throw, which I thought was a blanket, and you corrected me. So, no, it's a throw. <laughs> Oh goodness! No, no, it's fine. Um, I've been watching that basketball documentary that everybody's r- raving about this week. Mm. The which is quite good. What's it called? Uh, the Michael Last Jordan dance, one, anyway. Yeah. The Last Dance. Yeah, someone said it was better than that OJ documentary, which I mean, it's not. But um, but no, it's good. I've been watching quite a few documentaries actually. The Arsenal nineteen eighty nine one was on Sky yeah. the other night. That's very mm. good. Uh, saw one about the Bradford Fire the other day that BT Sport mm. did, which is online. That's um, yeah, very sombre, but very well made. In fact, t- talking of um, talking of TV, Jackie and uh, and whatnot, have you um, have you watched any seventies inspired cop dramas lately? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Somebody has some <laughs> glorious time on their hands that they've put to good use, haven't they? With a fabulous tweet. Well, this is a guy called um, called Wolf Gravy who used to. Um, depicts myself and former um, my former podcast host and my last podcast Nathan Judah in lots of very um, amusing cartoon uh, images and now he's done the same with me and you <laughs> as um, yeah as a 70s a 70s cop duo which I'll, I'll tweet out with the podcast it's, it's um, it is very funny and very good as well was it Cagney and Lacey there's <laughs> <laughs> more Bert and Ernie I think um, can you so, do that yeah, one next so, week no, please Wolf Gravy yeah that was good yeah, yeah no we, we encourage this, behavior, this type of behaviour especially during lockdown right we all need someone absolutely, to laugh absolutely absolutely anyway to Wolverhampton Wanderers news because we sit here on the day that the players have gone back to Compton well, some of them have been going anyway and running independently, but this is more collective returning to training, but very much observing social distancing. Explain more for us. Well, yeah, you're right. Some of them have been going in. The ones that have been that have still been in this country, which excludes people like Matinho, Dendonka, who've gone back home abroad to their families, family homes. But yeah, far more structured today or yesterday as it was, because you listened to this on Tuesday. Um, players returned on Monday to staggered individual sessions, but um, led by the coaching staff at Wolves. First things you've got to say is that all social distancing has been adhered to, to, um, obviously. Um, And they're all being very alert, Jackie, as well, and controlling (laughs) the virus. (laughs) Let's not get into that. Um, So yeah, so they're they're all in today. I'm not sure if Nuno's in actually. Nuno is back in the country. I think he was back last Thursday. But probably no need for him to be there today, um, as in Monday, because what they're starting with is the kind of testing that you get on the first day of pre-season. So they test for all kind of all kinds of levels, including urine samples and dehydration levels and all this kind of stuff. Lots of stretching, lots of muscle work, and 
they're doing all that today to see where they're at because it's been yeah more than two months since they played football or almost two months since they played football so they'll all be in different kind of shapes and we're now hopefully gearing up for a return to football in um, in a month or so possibly at the earliest so yeah so they've um from what i gather four of them are allowed there at one time they'll all be on a separate pitch because there are four full-size pitches at, at compton and they'll all have somebody overseeing their their session, so they'll do a little bit of running and whatnot this week. Um, but like I said, staggered times throughout the day. They'll turn up in their own kit. Uh, they'll they'll drive to and from Compton in their kit. They'll go home and wash it themselves, etc. Um, they won't go inside. That's an important point to make. So they'll drive up at Compton. They'll go straight to the field for an hour session doing all these bits and bobs. Um, if they want to use the loo, then the reception door is open um so yeah that's about it really so a very gentle start to some semblance of normality but it'll be it'll be good for them to be back to see each other albeit from a distance and and to work with the staff again and then the plan is to start some some group work next week and from what we know nationally as a result of the government's announcement today do you get the impression that we're still on track for a june resumption i don't know about on track but you need a series of green ticks, don't you, before this can start again. And the most important one is to get the ball rolling, i.e. the government say that, that you can play football again behind closed doors. And that has happened uh, on Monday, presuming that we get to, to phase two of this of this unlockdown period. Then, yeah, behind closed doors, football is allowed from early June onwards. However, there's a, there's a lot to be agreed yet between the Premier League um, as to whether... Um, relegation will be allowed as to which grounds they're going to be playing at who's going to be allowed in in the stadiums when they do play games when they're going to be played how they're going to be played how many subs they're going to have they're going to have five subs now there's all, all sorts of things that need to be agreed between the clubs and as we've seen in Germany it's not going to stop people getting the virus so um, a number of players over there have tested positive and if that happens over here then that, that puts football's um, resumption in doubt as well for me so there's there's a there's a lot that still needs to go right for us to be saying in a month's time that we can watch a Wolves game again a lot will depend on Germany this weekend and if Germany resumes without too many hitches then um, the argument from the bottom four bottom six clubs of the Premier League that this can't be done will be weakened because if Germany are doing it and doing it right then that shows how we can do it as well fascinating to watch Germany all eyes on them that is for sure now the concern that a lot of Wolves fans might have now is that bearing in mind they're unlikely to be allowed into the stadium to see the players and not really allowed to congregate outside either. In fact, they're not allowed to. And there's going to be some deployment of security staff, no doubt, to keep fans away. Is there a a concern, is there a chance that Wolves fans might have seen some of these players for the last time in Golden Black? Definitely, of course, there's a concern. I, I don't see... Football fans being allowed in stadiums this side of Christmas, to be honest. And as we all know, there's a high turnover in, in football squads and some players will have left, yeah, for sure, by, by the time that um, that fans are finally allowed in, in grounds again. And um, it's going to be a heartbreaking and very difficult difficult time for fans. Uh, this is forgotten about far too easily and not talked about at all by the media. But, you know, you've got fans that have been to every game for 30, 40 years and now all of a sudden they're not they're not going to be able to attend and you have to watch it on TV from, from home at best. So, um, no, I think, I think it's really sad and I think we'll, everybody's excited and looking forward, hopefully, to football coming back. But I've got to tell you from first-hand experience of going to Olympiacos, it, it's not the game that we know and love. And I found that an utterly joyless and miserable experience and... I have to say the players and the management um, seem to share the same opinions. So it'll be football, but, but not as we know it. could be either and that or no football and Wolves not having a chance to win the Europa League or uh, gain a place in next season's Champions League. It's something maybe we need to adjust our mental settings on this front and go, actually, given where we are, behind closed doors football with every single match available live, either online or on the television that you, you pay for a subscription of, is a lot more of a positive scenario than what we're faced with at the moment or even at the point of the game with Sheffield United pipping Wolves and no Europa League but if Wolves get to the Europa League final and it's watched by um, 200 staff in an empty stadium in Gdansk it'll just be completely hollow and it'll be the worst 
possible way to win a trophy. And, you know, it'll be a fantastic achievement whether to do it, but it, it just, it'll mean so much less. It just, um, if fans aren't there... It would, but at like least said, they have a chance of getting in the Champions League next season, whereas as things stand, there's a good chance they've, they've got no bite at that cherry. So isn't it yeah. about sort of just, you know, adjusting our, our mental settings on this and just trying to be yeah, positive? We, we have got to try and be positive, but yeah, it just, um, football is all about fans and... Um, if you're watching Diego Jota score a, score the winning goal in the um, Europa League final, and he's just met by a wall of silence, it just um, it'll just forever be what might have been, even if they were to win the tournament. I, I'm not I'm not particularly looking forward to that, but as you say, it's better than nothing, and um, there's so much at stake here. And if we can if we can get football back, it will be a massive boost to the nation. You've got to say because um, if they get 90 days of Premier League football in 30 days, sorry, 90 games of Premier League football in 30 days. Then, um, then that'll be fantastic, and it won't, it won't be the same, but it'll be something. And if you can adjust to these new, less stringent lockdown measures, and still keep the R rate, as they call it, the the reproduction of the spread of this uh, disease, we keep it down, then uh, that's a huge positive as well, and we can get back to something of a normal life uh, without the awful virus spreading any further. Harry's sponsors The Molly New View, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who are sick and tired of paying for overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew that there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel and travel blade cover, which is precisely what you need, Tim, presumably, bearing in mind you're stuck at home for months on end. Uh, I've gone a little bit Tom Hanks in Castaway at the moment. So Have you? <laughs> uh, it's, it's, getting, it's getting quite bushy, as I would describe <sighs> it. Uh, so yeah, I'll need, I'll need a shave at some point. <laughs> As a listener of the Molly New View podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. So support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash view. That's harrys.com forward slash view. Now, every week we try to think of a guest who Tim and I would like to hear from on the Molyneux View on the basis that we think Wolves fans will probably feel a similar way. Now, anyone who supported Wolves during any part of the 1990s will have watched and admired our guest this week. It is Mickey Mickey Stahl, who we used to sing about being in our goal. Let's have a listen to him in action. It's your hobby, isn't it? Weights and drinking. Well, I've lost. I've stopped drinking and I've lost £12 since uh, the new year. Look. No, that's your jumper, mate. No, it's not your jumper. It, it is. It is. You're just wearing baggy jumpers, making you look slim. £12. Here we go. Here's that Red Dwarf. Remember him at Red Dwarf? Come here. Don, come here. So he's shy. I can't believe Don Goodman's shy. What do you think of the fashion? This is the only time he go past me without kicking me this season. You get a bit close. I mean, I don't like getting close. Oh, yeah, it's it's you, Foss. Have you not noticed that we want to stand away from you? You know. I know. <laughs> what do you mean, you know? <laughs> don't you start. He's been eating them. Can you just pull that splinter out of my backside a minute? You know what I mean? Oh, Sorry. thank you. Hey, Ooh, oh, lovely. Can you have a message for all the fans <clears throat> on the travel club? All these up there to Port Bell? Yes. Um, Look into the camera, please. Sorry. Sorry. The last time I gave a message, what score was it? We won. Oh, we, we won. won. We won. We won. There you go. There you go. Keep shouting like before, and who knows, we may win. Cheer on for him. Top Please. Take care. Well, that wasn't Mike Style being in goal. That was him uh, taking the microphone from Foz, who uh, was the club reporter at the time. But um, Mike Style, welcome to the Molyneux View. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Does that bring back a few memories for you? It, it does. It does. It just highlights uh, what I was. Uh, I was a, a right old rabbit and chatter, wasn't I? And uh, I did it uh, <laughs> all through my career and shouting and moaning at people. And uh, I was just having a little pop, a friendly pop at Foz. Uh, he was a really good character. Uh, he, he was great for, for the lads in, in the dressing room, you know. Yeah, he really was. We'll talk about Foz in a moment. Sadly, he's no longer with us, of course. But what are your memories from your decade plus at Molyneux? 
Oh, blimey. Oh, there's so many. There's so many. I mean, when I went there initially on loan and then permanent, there was there was two parts of a ground. Uh, we got changed in one, which was a derelict, and there was, you know, it was half a, half a stadium, really. And even what half a stadium, there's one stand which seemed to be about half a mile away, which on, on bad days was good because you, you never got too much stick because you couldn't hear them. But... Uh, uh, it was it was never a perfect ground when I went there, but it was it's been fantastic to see it develop into what it is today, uh, and to play there for eleven years and, and come through with some fantastic players. Uh, always tinged with a little bit of sadness that we never really managed to achieve the uh, the ultimate and get up to the Premier. But uh, good good times trying, and we had good teams and good players. And when I look back now, I mean some of the players that we had there. Uh, we maybe underachieved a couple of times, but but then it was a fantastic era for the club, as in building, developing, uh, and to where they are now in the Premier. I used to stand behind your goal in the South Bank. Did you always much prefer being that end of the ground? Because as you said, when when you were playing there at first, when I first started going in 1990, there was only those two sides with the now the Steve Ball stand, as it's called now, miles away from the pitch with the faded red seats and we were behind you. But at the other end of the pitch, there was literally nothing, just a condemned stand. And what's now the Billy Wright, also a condemned stand. It must have been so weird. It, it was, it, it was, and it, it didn't, it didn't help at times. You know, when you're behind that goal with, with no fans, and and the dressing room that we got changed in, uh, it it really, really was derelict. But it brought a great atmosphere for us because we used to have Graham Hughes uh, was our team man, then, and he's still at the club. Graham, he's a historian there, and he's a fantastic old fella. And he used to walk down from the tea room, and and it, there was a wooden pillar with a uh, like just a, basically some wood around, and which he'd put the the tray of tea and sugar and coffee. Now and this is no word of a lie. Like whenever it rained, we had to stand on the on the seats on the wooden seating because it would flood because there was holes in the roof, and that but that's where we got changed, and that's where the opposition used to come, and when they used to bring the tea in with the sugar. The ants used to come down the pillar and just get circulate around the sugar, and we'd just get on with it. And you'd go into the wash baths in there, and half of it would be algae and mould and all that. But that it was character building. The, the lads just got on with this, and then you walked out into this stand, out of this stand which was derelict, and then you you looked at one stand which was the modern stand now the Steve Bull stand, which was like you say literally two miles away. And then the South Stand. The South Stand was fantastic. That was the the hardcore, the pure fans that made noise. They got it was it was old standing right up against the fence, right behind your goal. It was fantastic. Uh, and I'm sure Bully scored more goals in there because of that rather than the other stands. I tell you, Ruben Neves doesn't know how lucky he is. I hate to say, Mike, it's too many, mate. Um, you played uh, 448 games for Wolves, which puts you 12th on the all-time list which as you imagine has got plenty of legends as well um can you possibly pick out a couple of your favorite games from from all of those oh dear me <laughs> uh, i'd like to say i had a couple of decent ones in 448 but i'm not so sure uh, if i did uh, if i reminded um wow uh, it really really is difficult to pick out any single any one but i mean obviously when i beat bert williams his, his appearance record it was Birmingham away. I think it was 421. And I didn't know it at the time, but we'd gone to Birmingham. You know how hard it is at Birmingham and with their fans behind the goal and the area. And it was and they don't get on particularly well. And it's always a nasty thing. And I forgot all about this. And, and we won 1-0. It was a decent enough game. Broke the record. I didn't realise the Birmingham fans were actually shouting my name. So and, and, which, and I totally ignored them because I was focused on what we're doing. I didn't think they'd be shouting for me. And then I ended up getting dogs abuse after for not acknowledging them. But uh, honestly, I've got to apologise to them for actually thanking me for that. So I, I didn't know. But oh, there's t- there's too many games to have played to sort of pick any any one out really. You know, uh, it, it is difficult. And like I say, still just tinge. If anything was that uh, we didn't really get up to those playoffs, so we had some tough games in those playoffs at the time. We had an FA Cup semi-final. I think we played something like six quarterfinals of the League Cup and about four in the FA. So um, we got there, got so close, but just not close enough, really. What was it like playing in an era where 
Wolves had such a massive, massive individual hero in Steve Bull, who was known nationally, internationally, of course, as well, after Italia 90 in particular. But where people were just, I don't know whether they described Wolves as a one-man team, but he was so much the national focus and locally as well. Was there any resentment in the dressing room? No, not at all. I mean, Bully was well-loved and and because he was a character and he was an honest character and he... uh, he, he was old school. He was like uh, uh, Roy of the Rovers. I mean, basically, uh, he ate sausage sandwiches. He, he, he drank beer. Uh, you know, he didn't do shooting. You can believe this. I swear to God, we put on a shooting session, he, he'd walk in. It wasn't for him. Yeah, he was just a natural. Why not? Why he not? Was it superstition? No, or? He, and, and he wasn't being arrogant at all. He'd, you know, he, he, he wouldn't say, oh, I don't need that because I'm scoring. Uh, he was down to earth. He, you know, him and Tomo was uh, a total duo. Uh, Tomo was like, <laughs> he was like by his heels all the time. But he was a character bully and he, I got on really well with Bully. Spent a lot of time playing football with him, playing golf with him, uh, socialising with him. And honestly, he's down to earth as they come. Honest as they come, and what a what a what a player he was, powerful, strong, and and like I say, he didn't overly work. And, and when you used to come back pre-season, Bully would be at the back of the queue, as in in the running. When you used to run, it, you know we used to save it. He'd, he'd time it just perfect. When we come down to the short runs and the power, that's when he came into his own. And he reminds me now of a Jamie Vardy, as in he's a natural. He's just a natural of what he is, natural physique and natural talent. Uh, and I think that's what you get in the games, you know, the new unique players, Gascoigne and people like that. You know, they don't overly have to train and uh, try too hard in training because it's just a natural ability. What about some of the other players that you played with at the time? Who else stood out for you in terms of ability and also the personality that perhaps the public might not have seen outside? Ooh, um, I think you have to give me a list. Paul Cook. Of, let me have pork or <laughs> cookie. You see, you'll know all the 90s, the old 90s lads, won't you? You see, Cookie, yeah. uh, he's proven himself to be a good manager as well now. He, he was always a football man. He talked and lived and breathed football. Uh, used to talk 100 mile an hour and have that little bit of spit on his lip when he was uh, talking. Uh, a wonderful left foot and a really cheeky character. Now, he, he would be one of the... Uh, could get away with anything and he'd be he would turn up at the time when we had different training grounds by the way we we trained all over the place we didn't have our own training ground we used to find places the back of uh, a tennis courts we've had at one stage at the RF base we've had at one stage so uh, behind the factory at one stage good years as well so but what Cookie used to do, if we had to be in at 9.30 for a 10 o'clock start, it'd be 9.29 and 59 seconds. He'd roll out of his car with a piece of toast in his mouth and a cup of tea. He'd be driving with his cup of tea. <laughs> Literally, everyone else had been warming up, put the strappings on, been in the gym. He would just then chat away for aimlessly for 29 minutes and then he'd, he'd run around like a madman. He was an unbelievable engine on him, a natural one. Uh, you know, and again, a, a, a wonderful player. Uh, we keep downing in there as his workmate. Keep did all the work. Cookie just basically passed the ball around, you know, and uh, and, and took the credit. He had Muchy running, running all kinds of channels for for Bully as a great foil. Uh, but you know, you you look back and going over the years, the, the players that have come and gone since I've been there, the Jeff Thomases, you know, John DeWolf. I mean, who, who remembers John DeWolf? It was just a shame he, he had a horrific knee injury because he was going to be a massive star, I tell you now, personality and everything. So, but, you know, I mean, Don Goodman, he was lively. David Kelly, uh, up top. I mean, characters that, that you need in your dressing room. You really did. Uh, but but all all the way through the years, it, it was fantastic. And and God rest his soul, you know, oh, and Richards. So, I mean, he, what a fantastic player he was as well. So, I mean, there, there's been so many, so many going through. And, and you know, it, it's just like, again, a little bit of sanity. You think to yourself, like, how come with so many players like that, and good players, that we didn't really win more, really? I mean, you, you mentioned, Mike, about how much the stadium changed during your time there. Did, did the dressing room and the dynamic of the of the club and the team change a lot as well? Because obviously when you joined, it was still Bull, Much, 
Thompson down in, you know, the team that had come up from the fourth division. Yeah. And by the time you left, I mean, so many millions had been spent on players. And I'd imagine that, that really changes the, the feel of a dressing room. Yes, it can do. And I, and I, I think you've, you've got a little point there. Because uh, when I joined it on loan and then in, into the old first division or now the championship, you had players, like you say, that had took that club, you know, through Graham Turner as well, who was a fantastic man, uh, and, and dragged it all the way up and got them into uh, the, the championship as such then. And they would probably be on just average, average contracts. And we weren't, weren't on a lot of money. The, you know, bully apart, and, but bullies, you know, justified everything. And, and then you had that era, the money coming in with the Jeff Thomases, the David Kellys, and uh, who could command quite a lot of money. And, and you know, it, it can cause some animosity sometimes in dressings, but we didn't let it. We didn't let it in uh, in ours because they come from when you come from sort of humble beginnings and uh, and what the place looked like then and, and we got together bear in mind on a friday we used to train at the back of the north stand on the car park on concrete mm. on concrete and this wasn't flat concrete this is like we rubble and, yeah potholes yeah. And, and, and all grand turner used to do was put uh, four um, um cones down not cones these little flat discs but the actual cones that you could pick up from the road that you see that probably you would have saw Tomo and Bully out wearing his hats on us on a Saturday night after a game <laughs> and we used to park in the pub behind the north stand I can't remember what that's called now on the little roundabout and that's where we used to park the cars so when we used to go on away trips we used to turn up park the cars in the pub in our in our lively track suits come out get on the bus go to the away game come back and the the geezer in the pub, the, the um, was was more than happy for us to do that, but it was on an understanding. We came and had a beer. Now, can you imagine that uh, these day and age, when you've gone away and got beat, and you've come back and it's full of uh, Wolves fans, and you've got to walk in there in your tracksuit and sort of half explain why you got beat today or didn't win, you know? So, uh, but it was great. But it was great camaraderie, and, and but that's what we did, and that's what we did. You know, and I'm not going to hide it now. And we, what we used to do every month, we used to have the Tuesday Club. And the Tuesday Club basically was, uh, Tuesday session was a hard session. And Graham used to know we had this Tuesday Club as well, by the way. And But that wasn't, that was never a problem because as long as we put the work in. So there would be no cool down on a Monday like you get now, you know, 48 hours after, after a match. It was, Monday was hard and Tuesday was very hard because he knew we were going to the boozer all afternoon. And Tuesday afternoon, it was straight from the uh, uh, the ground, and you we go into town, into a pub, sit round the table. There were about fifteen of us, sixteen of us, and it, you would sit there, and, and it was team bonding, as we called it. Uh, and then you get yourself home Tuesday nights and Wednesday off, and then you, you knew Thursday morning that the boss was going to run you, and you, to make so you had to make sure you was ready for that. But that was the culture which then. Pub? Which pub? Oh, we went into several. Which pub was it you went to? Yeah, but the pub, do you remember I it? I can't remember the pub. Was it the, go, was it the goalpost? In. Yes, it is. It is. That it would have been the car parking one See. behind yeah, the north. If you want to know about one. Wolverhampton boozers, just come to me. Oh, that was a goalpost <laughs> behind the North Bank. But in yes, terms of yes, going into but, town on a Tuesday night, do you know which one you went into? No, I can't remember the names of them now. But but it, it was more of the afternoon. Uh, that was because it's a nice session, isn't it? You're sitting there, you're chilling away, you're chatting away, and and you would still get. And nobody was exempt from that, by the way. It wasn't like we didn't drag them by the hair, but nearly did. But you know, it was one of it was sort of like uh, uh, we sort of shamed them to like uh, for coming along. So even those that had school runs and spit the kids up, they'd come and have a couple of shandies and then drive off and. And be gone by three, so you know. And uh, the hardcore would last. The youngsters would last uh, a little bit longer, and uh, uh, you know, and 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 stay on a little bit and and, and enjoy it. But uh, it was always we did it once a month, uh, religiously, and I, and I think we sorted a few things out there and then. Who did you most enjoy playing under? Because you were there under Turner initially, Graham Taylor, of course, former England manager with the. The, the baggage, perhaps, that that brought, or at least the scrutiny. Mark McGee, some of the players have, have since expressed um, opinions that weren't particularly favourable. Colin Lee, I think. What, what was it like playing under the different types of manager? Yeah, you, you see things differently. Sometimes a lot of players say things about other managers, 
if they haven't played under them well or haven't got on with them well, I think you've got to look at the bigger picture. Graham Turner was, was a fantastic man, one and only. He was a good, good coach with Gary Pendry. Uh, they knew the stuff. And I really, really felt for for Graham for for not really achieving his his goal, what he wanted to do. But he was a, a lovely fella, great man to get on with. Uh, got on with all the players. Was a really good communicator. Now Graham Taylor was an interesting one because he did come with baggage, and that's what I think killed him. And I really feel for Graham. And and now when I look back over the years, and I think to myself, he was underrated. And took too lightly, and and I think we we jumped too soon to get rid of him. But but the trouble was because he came with that baggage, people didn't give him the chance. I don't think. And he came with Steve Harrison as a coach, and I'm sure Steve Harrison, without me mentioning it, will be remembered for quite a few other things. Uh, and he was a funny <laughs> bloke, by the way. He was a funny bloke. Yeah, he had the I prank, know. Didn't he? Yes, he did a, a certain uh, prank on a wardrobe, and uh, he put it this way: he was a better shot than Steve Bull, and, uh, and that's saying something. But but Harry was quality. Harry Harry mm. though, he, and I'm telling you now, Harry was a really good coach. I mean, a defensive coach, fantastic. His detail, his humour, his sessions he put on was fantastic. And I'll tell you one thing. I've got, I'll, I'll tell you a story about Harry, which is uh, gospel. When we first Graham came in, Graham Taylor, this is. You see, he he was like he was ahead of the game. He would he'd, he'd take us to hotels prior to home games and things like that, which obviously riled certain players because they didn't like being away from their comforts or they didn't their food. But he did it for reasons, and he took you in and and he brought a psychologist on board. And, and he would, I'd tell you, he was ahead of the game. Now, what he first did on the, the the first full season, we went to the Mount Hotel. You all know where the Mount Hotel is, and it's yeah. And the Mount Hotel basically is a, is an oldish hotel, nice modern, but they have weddings there. And we'd gone there on a Saturday morning prior to the opening game of the season. And it was ready. And uh, it was a hot, sunny day. And so what we'd do, we'd go into the ground, we'd walk around the ground, he'd tell us the team, he'd set us out, tell us our goals for the thing. And then what we'd do, we'd go to the Mount and drive. And then we'd have pre-match there and then make our way back to the uh, the stadium. And he did that to prepare us, to get us mentally right. And, you know, I quite enjoyed that side of it. But this uh, this sunny day, we've, we've gone upstairs, had a little walk into the meeting room. As we walk past the meeting room, there's another room there. And it, there's a wedding to be at the Mount this day. And everything was set out, all the groom, best man's gear, wedding dress, bride's dresses. So uh, so that was all set out. So we'd gone past that. We'd, we'd gone downstairs and gone into the conservatory to eat. So bear in mind, it's a bit tense. It's the opening of the season and we're all sat there eating. Well, this is this is the most funniest thing I think I've ever seen in my life. Through the gardens, which can you see, you could see this man in the bride's dress skipping along the lawn, <laughs> waving. It was Steve Harrison wearing the bride's dress. He'd gone into the room. No. Thought, I'll cheer the lads, honestly, 100%. <gasps> and he was skipping through the lawn. Well, and we were absolutely all over the place, you know what I mean? The, the live and up, we were actually following it. But the, the way he gets away with things, I don't know. I don't know how he explained that anyway. But uh, so that, that <laughs> when, he, when whoever married that bride, Steve Harrison had been in the dress before his, his, his newlywed. But we went on to be ready. I hope ready. it wasn't I mean, a size eight to start oh, with. There might be a few splits in it after oh, that. Oh, God, Harry. You know, you can imagine this hairy man <laughs> skipping through the lawn in a in a white regal <gasps> wedding dress. But that, honestly, gospel. And that was Harry. He, he brought fun to the players. Graham was a serious side of it and the tour. And he was a knowledgeable, real knowledgeable man. And I felt for, for Graham and I think his time came too soon and uh, after all that baggage and, and it ended far too soon. So I would probably say the most, I would go with Graham as the most talented. You know, Mark came in from Leicester. I think the, the way he came from Leicester and what he did to Leicester by jumping ship and come in and uh, he riled a few people. But I'll tell you one thing, uh, for Mark, Mark held a uh, barbecue for the players and he was to sort of, uh, it was a more of a case of, I thought initially it was to uh, bring us all together and it was at his house and uh, obviously you can imagine it was a grand house. Uh, he used the, the YTs as uh, waiters to serve us all drinks and all that and it was always, and his medals on show. So, so the lads thought we'd have a little task 
So the, the task was to see what you could take from his house without him noticing it. So <laughs> bear in mind, he had the golden boot. He had this. He had picture. So we accumulated oh. stuff and took things. Well, the next day, well, it didn't go down well because uh, he had held an amnesty because of pictures of his his family and everything. We'd stripped his house, basically, because <laughs> everyone had took something. So it was, uh, he, uh, yeah, so oh, we had to, God. he gave us an amnesty of a day to bring it in and leave it in the dressing room after training and uh, and, and hotel it out of there, So which we did. So, uh, but yeah. What, what was the most bizarre the item that was nicked? What What was the most personal or bizarre item that well, somebody nicked? And who was, was the worst culprit? Fo- yeah, well, uh, yes, there was quite a few of those. <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think Dom wasn't uh, uh, innocent as well. So, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, someone actually took his his golden boot, which was a bit naughty, really. I mean, <laughs> it's certain things you don't take in something like that, private like that. But uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it, uh, we were a bit naughty in those days, I, I suppose, as a group of uh, a group of lads. But it was all done in in good humour, and it was to to raise spirit, really, and team spirit. Mike, you were undisputed Wolves number one for what, 11, 11, 12 years, and I guess this was this was the time where you didn't really rotate your keepers either, was it for League or FA Cup? And I, there must have been so many keepers that came and went. Perhaps some that fans have never even heard of, actually. And I just wondered who who were the kind of best understudies that you had that maybe had you kind of worried for your place or you know who, who were the best keepers you worked with at Molyneux? Oh, um, like you say, there, there wasn't really going back there a one and a two. Uh, and I know I came and replaced Mark Kendall. Um, we we did have some come and go, and uh, but I'll, I'll tell you one thing about uh, Matt Murray because uh, when Matt came through the ranks. See, oh, I'll tell. First of all, I'll just tell you my first goalkeeper coach because back then you didn't really have goalkeeper coaches. You, you know, you had the it was a part time one. So a quick one. I had Eric Steele coming once a week, who then obviously went on to Man United and uh, uh, with uh, with Fergie and, and and that, and he's still going. He's Eric calls himself the guru, but uh, and then then God rest his soul, uh, the cat. We had Peter Benetti. And when Peter Benetti came in, he used to come in. He, he was class Pete. So Pete, he used to come in in the, his, his loafers, shorts, and a Hawaii shirt and his little bag. And he used to come in. But because – and back then, like, I think when talking like 25, 26 years ago, when he came in with us, he, he must have been 50 then I'm at least I'm, I'm sure. And he was getting to the point where he'd, he'd lost a pound. He's like, so he used to throw things and just pop it up and down, you know, like that. And, but he'd come in in an afternoon. So we'd have to hang around for an hour or so in the afternoon. So, and, and he, he was a wonderful fellow, by the way. He had some stories and what a, what a goalkeeper he was. But I'll go on to that in a, in a bit. But, but Matt's, when Matt came through the ranks and he was 16, and you've seen the size of Matt Murray now. Well, when Matt was 16, he wasn't far off that size. And he he came in he came into the fold and um, we had Hans Sagers in there as well and, and and Matt was one of these he was a little bit cheeky chap he was and he was he was you know brought him into the fold to train with us and, and he enjoyed that and then he, he on one day he overstepped the mark in a in like a, a goalkeeper wars where he, he was sort of like you know you had to, you had to know where you were with the apprentices apprentices and he was good with me because he used to clean my boots. And then, uh, this sounds a bit naughty now, and it's not, but it's just how you you used to do. So when we used to come in covered in mud and all that, I used, I used to drop my kit down that, and he'd run me a bath, and then bring me a cup of tea into the bath for me. So, and, and that, that was for a reason. I know it doesn't sound too clever that, but honestly, believe me, it was all above board. It was all above board. There's something there. So, and Matt Murray's a big lad, and he'd gone over board this one day in the training. So with one of the other lads, so I thought to myself, I'll, I'll teach him a lesson. So we pinned him down. We stripped him to his, uh, his to his sloggies, and we we ran up, ran off with his things. We had to make his way back to the ground from the training ground, which was about a mile jog, uh, in his sloggies. So you imagine he's a big lad, but uh, he certainly got me back a couple of months later. He threw a wine gum, hit me on the side of the head, and pinned me up against the thing. He's a he's, he's a big lad, and uh, but we've had all total respect. Matt's a really good friend of mine, and. Uh, uh, he, he was a great one coming through the ranks, and then we went pre-season, worked him out, and bashed his head on the side of the goalpost and split it open. And uh, but uh, he was uh, he, he was a good worker. It was a shame to see his season cut short because I'm sure there was, 
and you know, there'd be a couple he wouldn't be one maybe to come up and and take the record away with appearances. Do you think he would have gone on to play for England? Because a lot of us who saw him in those early days of, of coming through saw how talented he was and it was so cruel the way his career was cut short. Would he have been a, a Premier League regular at least? I think so. I think he would have gone, played five, six, seven, eight years at Premier. And if he made the England, you never know. I mean, he, he had, he was a, he's a size, he was a presence, uh, good character as well, by the way, really nice fella. Um, you know, it, it, it probably was his timing around there because... Um, it, the, the characteristics of a goalkeeper is changing now these days. It, it's not about being six foot eight, six foot five, huge size, big hands. So, you know, you, you've got to be, you've got to be lively. You've got, you've got to be able to play with the ball. You've got to be able to pass the ball. You have that spring, and so uh, the game is changing ultimately. But when he was there, I, I think he could have been a regular for a, a long time now. So um, it, it was just a shame. It was a really sad thing. When injury curtails your career, it, it is really, really terrible thing, you know. I mean, you, you say Matt was good enough for the Premier League, which obviously we, we, we would all agree with. And you were yourself, Mike, as well. I, I wonder if um, if you ever came close to leaving or did you have any offers that tempted you during your time? There, there was a, well, there was a couple uh, at times where, I, I, you know, but back then, you see, it, it was a little different. You had to see your contract out. So, so that's the that that was a problem. There was there was two, uh, there's twice from Premier clubs that came in for me, but I was under contract. Wolves didn't sell, uh, and that's that was the reason. And you didn't they didn't have to sell, and back then we couldn't throw the toys out. The pram refused to play because if you refused to play, then you were dropped. You're out of the team. Then you know you're likely not to get that that contract again. So, uh, but you know I. I I don't know if I would have left anyway. Uh, Which club was that, Mike? I had two, one from uh, Nottingham Forest and one from Spurs. So back then, so... Uh, and, and you tempted? Uh, tempted to throw your toys out the pram or at least make it make your presence felt in the manager's no, because room? Because there was only once when I really had a little think about that. Uh, that was under Mark McGee uh, and and... Because it was we was in contract talks at the time, and uh, and and he was sort of saying, you, you know, uh, you know, you won't get your deal then, and you, you te- I had my testimonial coming up, and 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 it wasn't uh, that I wanted to leave, but I was just sort of trying to, at the time, secure a little bit more for the family and all that, because you know I'd I'd gone through mine and played every year and every minute of my contracts, so I never ever renewed it early because you didn't then back then. So I, I never like after one year of a three-year deal then signed a new deal and got the other two years money like so, some people did then or, or whatever. I, I'd signed a three-year, played me three years, signed another three. And so I did it all like that. So I played every minute and, and, and uh, trained every minute of my contract. So, But uh, but no, no regrets on that sort of thing. Because uh, uh, I love my time at Wolves. I mean, a, a fantastic time there. Uh, you know, I, I love the fans, the people around it. You know, I just had a really good time. Yeah, you did have a great relationship with the fans. One of those um, who stood behind the goal and travelled home and away. And I remember as a teenage girl, I wrote uh, a letter to, I think I wrote a letter to you and Shane Wesley. And oh, Shane, Shane Wesley, Wesley didn't reply. And you did reply. And you sent me a lovely photograph of you with your goalkeeping gloves. And you signed it. Um, and it stayed up on my uh, on my wardrobe door for many, many years. I went in the garage at the weekend trying to find it, actually, just to really embarrass oh you. But it wouldn't yeah, have embarrassed yeah. you because at least you replied. And then I remember going into Wimpy on Dudley Street once and seeing Shane Wesley. I was like, hi, Shane. I'm just wondering if you got my letter. Oh, <laughs> I my God. back from him. And he went, oh, oh, um, yeah, yeah, I will reply. He never did. But but you were the only one that did. So thank you for that. But but what about your relationship with the fans? Because there was a lot of a lot of noise um, and a lot of affection generated towards you home and away in those days on the terraces. Well, it, it was because of the support and how they were. And I'm down to earth person and I, I, I like talking football because I used to, uh, going the local and I've always lived in villages because I'm not that sort of person and, and go in amongst it or uh, quite private at times but I'll go in the pub and I like a beer and I'm sure everybody will tell you that mm-hmm. uh, and I probably know that and 
But and you get a fan maybe come up and you want to tell me, oh, sorry, I'm not sorry to bother you. But I said, oh, that's great. And then we chat away and, and you know, because I, I enjoy that. I enjoy the, the talking about it and the game. And, and like you said, we used to go into the uh, to the pub where we parked and, uh, you know, the goalposts and, and afterwards we'd stop and have a couple of beers. And that didn't ever used to worry me because the fans, are, they, they pay the money, they cheer you, they go home in a way, they give you great support. And uh, it's times like that, you know, I think you, sometimes these bigger stars underestimate, you know, the dedication and what and what the fans do. And, and you know, and it's fantastic. They, they make you feel special. And to hear the noise behind it, it's a buzz. It really is a buzz. So, and I've only had really good times. You know, you get the odd, listen, I've, I've had my time as well there where I've heard things shouted and you think to yourself, well, it's a bit harsh, but then you think it's more often than not, they're great with you. And, it, you know, and as long as you treat them with respect as they treat you, it's, it's fine. That was Tim, by the way. I'm sure he's sorry now. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wolves and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to the Molyneux View, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft Beer Discovery Club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand, and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is you can leave anytime. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52 com forward slash wolves to get your case free and don't forget right now listeners get two extra free beers hey i remember i remember west brom uh, away uh, and it's uh, now this is another one god rest his soul uh, rob highmarsh um you know mm. i mean he sadly passed away now when we signed rob he was derby captain and he was going to be our captain i really felt for rob because he didn't have the best time the best season and you i'm sure you'll probably remember but the people don't remember what happened when he came to us and then we had a pre-season and he he was a big unit and he he was getting on a little bit on the football terms but he was a leader he was a great great personality and he, he broke his toe in pre-season and he couldn't train for about two weeks. And, and basically, you, you can't cure a broken toe. You, you have an injection, you get on with it. Or you put it. So it hindered his, his fitness and he didn't really have the best of starts and the fans sort of got on at him a little bit and he was one of those. And he did struggle just because he, he couldn't get up to speed quickly enough with that fitness. But we had West Brom away on, I'm not sure if it was uh, Boxing Day. Anyway, it's Christmas. West Brom, West Brom is West Brom, by the way. And uh, remember, we we're losing one nil, and it's it's like late on now, and I'm at the West Brom end, and I'm getting pelters, absolutely pelters, and you know, and there we are, and it's the 90th minute, and I always remember now, it must be 35, 40 yards out in the middle of the thing, and it's Robbie uh, Dennison on the ball, and all I remember, uh, Rob's run up to it, and he's had a shot, and I'm thinking, for God's sake, Rob. So and I'm stood on the penalty spot, my penalty spot, and I've looked at this shot and, and bless him, Stewie Nail has gone down and he's gone to scoop it up. Now, I, I would have thought 99 times out of 100, he would have just picked that ball up and then or thrown his cap on it. And it's, it's probably took a little bounce and just come off his chest a yard, just enough for Rob Einmash to run in there and dive straight in with his feet, get the ball over the line with the keeper. Unbelievable. So he scored two yards right there. So it's 1-1, on it? and this is the 91st minute of the game. But then there's no time added on, and that's it. So I've turned round and like ran back to the goal to give them all these West Brom fans some, uh, some abuse, like for giving me all this abuse. And I forget, because there's no, there's no stewards, there's no police, there's, <laughs> there's no barriers. And then all of a sudden, they start to climb over the barriers. So I think it's probably time to do a U-turn now and we go back the other way. So we ended up outside. But so the referee's got more back. We've gone to kick off. 
And the referees give me the old, uh, I'm blowing up as soon as they sing. I said, okay. So when, so he's blown up. I'm like spun round. I give him a, like a, a wave and I'm off. I'm absolutely off that pitch with them all chasing me down the bloody tunnel. But I always remember, and this is true now, Rob Imash always gets a nominee for player of the year for that goal. Yeah. Yeah, yes. even though it's tight, it didn't work out there, did it? So no, he got, it didn't. He's, he's it in didn't. one column as one of the worst signings, isn't he? And he's in another another nominated uh, category as being a, being a bit of a cult hero, wasn't he? For that yes, as well. That and then goal, you left yeah. Wolves. Uh, yeah, exactly. You left Wolves and went to Bristol after over a decade. And am I right in thinking that's where you met your wife Rachel, who was an England international, who I sort of know yeah. independently of you as a result. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, and and our daughter Ella, who's twelve, actually she's plays for Bristol City Academy. So, and she's a goalkeeper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, excellent. So we're, I've seen we're, pictures we're on Facebook. She's had yeah. some coaching, hasn't she? This lockdown. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. I, I'm trying to. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm doing it for my sanity. Never mind uh, for Ella's uh, fitness and all that. So I'm just trying to keep my eye in. So it's uh, yeah, keep busy. But uh, yeah, we're 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 definitely a footballing family. I'll tell you that. Obviously, you you must be delighted to see Wolves doing so well, now. and uh, it's been an incredible few years at Molyneux. And you were there for the first game at Molyneux of of the Nuno era for the um, if people don't remember preseason friendly Wolves Leicester two thousand seventeen, I think it was. Yeah. And I remember Wolves played so well that day, and the players had really treated it as 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 important as a league game, really, and put on a bit of a show that day. Do, do you remember it? And and, yeah. and and being being impressed with what you yeah, saw? Yeah, no, very impressed, very impressed. And I thought to myself, you know, they've got every chance, and and they've gone on and shown that. And they're a very very good team. They play some really good attractive football. Got some excellent players. Good manager. Yeah, they've uh, you know it's it's all good for them, and they've got a good base, and they, you know they'll build on that. They will build on that. They are a very very good team. We've had some. Uh, we've had two nil nilers this season, but uh, but you're not for the one to try and for beating either. Uh, but they're a good team. They are a good team. I'm really pleased for what they've achieved and and what they can achieve. And, and so this Europa as well. It's just been a just so sad about with the coronavirus that it couldn't it could obviously probably rob them of a rob them of a chance of going on to win that you know we never managed to get into the premier league with wolves but you've managed to win the blighter with leicester haven't you i mean just briefly because we we've talked so much we could talk for another hour by the way on this we we would love to have longer um but just briefly mike what's it been like being at leicester as a coach and uh on the goalkeeping side as well as first team coach with them having won the Premier League and absolutely smashing it. Wow! Uh, if it's been a roller coaster, it, it's probably been the biggest and exciting roller coaster there's been. Uh, I mean, because when I joined 15 years ago, it's uh, see, I don't do I don't do many clubs, do I? I, I did like Wolves for 11 and then Leicester for 15, and so. But and, I mean, Championship, we we were struggling, and I've been caretaker manager six times, I think. Uh, uh, we we went down under Ian Holloway. Nigel Pearson took us up from League One, the Championship. We've we've been involved in unbelievable playoffs in the Championship. Where I'm sure you believe when when at Watford when knockout needs to score, and we're in the final. He gets it saved, and they go down the other end and score, <laughs> and we're out of it. And then you know, then we romp the Championship under Nigel is fantastic and then the, the, the season to stay up was, was absolutely incredible we were bottom by you know we needed snookers to get out and we ended up winning something like 9 out of 11 games when we'd won 4 previously so uh, and then you suddenly out of the you know we stay up and, and then that season I still can't for the life of me begin to tell you how and you know it, it, it was amazing I've got to say it was amazing but and and everything came right. You had 11 to 15 players who were all at the top of the game. You had unbelievable people with Kante and Vardy, Schmeichel. Well, the lot, the whole team were, were incredible. We didn't have Europe. Every other team seemed to be faltering. So it was almost like if, if, if you had to have every little piece of a jigsaw and everything go right and every sort of part, it happened that season. Uh, and whether it's fate or luck or whatever, uh, it, yeah, it's been uh, it was pretty special, and it's been fantastic to be part of it. And and obviously with the owners and and whatever and what happened with Visha, and it, it's been one big family. But it, it it reminds me, I tell you now, and I keep saying this, it's not because it's Wolves. 
this is reminding me, Wolves are like this. Wolves are a, a family. They're at the United. They stick together. The fans are good. And Leicester's the same. And they are the same. And you can achieve. You can achieve when you have that. All right, it's hard when you've got uh, Man City and Man United spending 200 million a year on players and what they've got and budget-wise and Liverpool. But, but you can compete with these teams if you have that if you have that spirit, if you have the unity in your, in your players and your hunger. And you, you can you can achieve these things together, you know. Um, and, and it's been it's been fantastic. And 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 I had uh, I can talk all day about wolves and and because I, you know the time there and everybody said to me in the past as well. They said, "Well, have you never fancied going coaching for the wolves?" Well, I said, "The thing was, and I was never asked." And when I finished playing at Bristol City, the first job that comes up, you, you've got I've got to find work. So and I, I was lucky enough to get to to Leicester. Um, yeah, and I've been the coach and caretaker manager and all that, but but Wolves has never been there uh, as a coaching job. And would I go? <laughs> it'd, it'd be hard now on a, after what I've achieved with Leicester, but but it, it's got a special place in my heart, Wolves, and uh, only because of the time I had there. And I mean, I could I'd tell you two hundred more stories about the time in there and what. Bully and Tomo and what we used to get up to and the the fun and uh, but it, it it has been a, an amazing journey and I can see Wolves achieving something like Leicester um, and I can see Leicester going on again because uh, under Brendan who's a really bright manager and we've got some good players emerging again um, and it, it's just about hard work hard work bit of spirit but I mean that nice bit of luck as well. Oh, happy days. What a career you've had. And just hopefully, hopefully, maybe one day we'll get you back at the Golden Palace yeah. where you where you belong. I think those of us who are there in the 90s feel you belong there. But uh, anyway, Mickey Stell, thank you so much for your time and joining us on the Molly New View. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, oh, it's been my pleasure. Honestly, it's, it's nice to uh, reminisce and chat about it again, you know. We- Just got to ask you very finally about Foz. I played that little clip in at the beginning with the two of you because I remember sitting on the supporters coach going around the country watching the games and we were entertained with a VHS video of him supposedly <laughs> interviewing you. But it's mostly, mostly you just take the mickey out of his lack of hair or his shortness or his physique, <laughs> whatever it may be. Yeah. yeah Did you I- enjoy those? Oh, those I, interviews. I loved them. I mean, uh, you know, initially you think to yourself, you, players would say, "Oh, no, I don't want." You know, when you ask uh, who's going to do the uh, the video, who's going to wish them are. I said, "It's not a hard thing." I mean, it, the fans just want to hear, and, and because it, there was no real coverage, was there, of training ground or or games as such, and it was you, you got the odd live one, but just to get an insight of, of what the players do, or how they get on, and and all that is is great for the fans, and and I was more than willing to do that, and. Uh, and Foz became a good mate of mine and we went on uh, I'll tell you this quick story before I go we used to always go on a, a golfing trip a golfing holiday and we we'd just jet around the world depending where we went to Dublin once so we found this K club where it was held where the one of the major events were held in there and it, so we had but it was like £45 now it was quite a lot of money to us back there so so we said to Foz like do you still want to do it and, oh yeah 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 I want to play this or so he's got a bag of balls and on the first tee, there's, there's your nice grassy area, you know, with flowers and it's a bit of elevated tee. And uh, I said, you got enough balls for us? He said, oh yeah, yeah, I haven't got enough. Okay, here we go. So, you know, you banter, I said, don't don't worry about that, uh, those flowers in front of you. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he said, what flowers? I said, those flowers, those, there, that's just about 10 yards in front of you. Don't, don't be in there. So where does he go on to do? Goes on and shells two of them straight in there. So <laughs> you, you can't go wading in there, can you? So he, he leaves them. So we, we continue through the course and we're coming up the 18th and there's some water and he's on his last ball. I said, Fuzzy, whatever you do, you can't because you can't, if you don't, uh, if you lose this ball, you, you, you can't complete the course. So I said, no, no, I'm fine. So he chips up and he's just short of the water. So I said to him, and I was actually now being nice to him. I said, you know what, Fuzz, if you want, just bring me the ball slightly to the left and you've got a clear little bump run onto the green. I said, because you don't want to hit the water. So he says, no, 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 that's cheating. I don't want to. I said, oh, that's fine. So as he just approached it and he brought his club back, he says, don't don't think of the water, Fuzz. Just think of the hole. So as he comes down and scuffs it in between, plop, there is ball in the water. 
he then proceeded for the next 10 minutes, hands and knees, in the water finding this ball because he couldn't complete the course. And I wouldn't give him one of my balls, would I? I said, that's not all right. You've got to do it. So he fished his ball out eventually, all sodden and wet. And the following year, we took to Spain and I sort of uh, took to uh, writing on one of his cases, just some sort of like silly words, only to find out it was one of a set and it was his mother's, so which I did have to replace <laughs> and apologise for. And I won't tell you what I wrote on the case, but when it went round on the on the carousel, he had to put tape all over everything so uh, and not let anybody look at it. So, yeah, but he was a lovely man, Foz, and he used to take all the flack oh. and every bit of stick. But but that's how it uh, just used to be, and. Uh, uh, like like I said, he, he he was one of the first to move all the interviews on and, and make it lively for the fans and, and the players. So, yeah, I appreciate him for that. He was a good man. So that was Mike Stowell or Mickey, Mickey Stowell in a goal, in a goal, as uh, he was well known amongst the Wolves fans. What an absolute pleasure, Tim, to hear all those stories from a player who was so, so loved from the terraces and the stands at Molyneux all those years ago. And what a lovely, lovely man. It was that was so enjoyable. It, for, for two two things kind of stick out. One, what an amazing career he's had since leaving Wolves. Right? I mean, I, I've I've kind of forgotten he's been at Leicester that long, but the relegations to League One and the championships and everything. What a roller coaster! And um, he's done really well for himself there. Like he's been in caretaker charge and um, survived many many changes of manager, which is always a sign of a very good coach. And the other thing that struck me was. Um, you can ask him what was his favourite game as a Wolves player and he hasn't got a clue because he can't remember. But then you ask him what happened when you went to the pub on Wednesday in April 1994 and it's full of stories. So, um, but no, it's, it's, it kind of felt like an after-dinner uh, speech, you know, just telling anecdotes about, about his time at Wolves. Absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. We game. haven't heard him talk like that, have we? I haven't heard that since uh, since him leaving the club, so I think there might be because he's been an so busy. Because Stout. yeah, he's been at Leicester for so many years, and and he's constantly tied up with that. So you don't see him on the after dinner circuit, and you don't hear him on many podcasts and whatnot. But he's fantastic value, he really is. Yeah, and his affection for the club is clearly still yes. there. Love that, love that, and that interview with Mike Stowell on the back of a very popular one with Wolves director John Goff last week. Equally passionate, but in in a different way. Yeah, we had John last week. I listened back to it the other day. And again, such fantastic insight, such amazing passion. And we've got some really good feedback on Twitter and whatnot. So please send us send us your comments and send us your feedback. You know, we really appreciate it. And um, we're going to keep it going with as many interesting guests as possible. And if you want to uh, leave a message for us and a review on iTunes, we would really appreciate that because I, I think Jackie stumbled across this this week. Um, there are some lovely reviews left for us on the iTunes website. And if you want to leave us one and, and a nice little rating, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, I had no idea they were there. And I listened to so many other podcasts. They were all saying, well, make sure you rate and review. I was thinking, oh, maybe we should be doing that. And I looked and saw these lovely messages. So thank you. Um, please do give us your feedback on there. And enjoyed your work again this week, Tim. Particularly the Wolves women piece, I have to say. Yes, yeah, spoke to Wolves women manager, Dan McNamara, who gave a very frank interview, actually, and emotional um, about, obviously, their, for people who don't know, Wolves' women's season was voided a long time ago now. There was three days after the original lockdown, this was, you know, we're talking about how leagues are going to be concluded or voided or points per game or whatever. Wolves women uh, abandoned and voided a long time ago which they're still unhappy about, you know, the hastiness they feel of, of that decision because they were 11 points clear in their league. Um, so, yeah, really interesting interview with, with Dan, which you can read now. Uh, admitted he sat and cried in his car for an hour when he found out that, um, that their season was over. And But he's very grateful, importantly, for the support he's received from the club and from Jeff Shee, who sent the squad a, a personalised letter, which we read out on here exclusively a few weeks ago. So, yeah... Um, done that I've done a Wolves I've somehow managed to narrow down Wolves' best away days of the last 20 years into six which was not an easy feat but you can read that and vote for your favourite 
um, on the I was athletic not happy website. that I missed five of those six due to a job that <laughs> takes me elsewhere. I was devastated. <laughs> if I could have been at Cardiff 2018, that's the one for me. There's been some crackers. I was at the Derby one 2009, but Cardiff 2018, watching the hotel room in Salford before hosting a final score, it was just insane. Oh, I couldn't insane. feel my fingers after that. Imagine imagine trying to tweet and write a match report with, with two missed penalties in injury time no. for a championship decider. It's bonkers. So, yeah, that was good. And then this week... Um, Still, hopefully, fingers crossed for a, for a really decent interview this week, which I'm not going to reveal um, in case it doesn't happen and it's jinxed, but it should be happening this week, um, which yeah, you can hear about next month, <laughs> next Tuesday. Yeah, but um, but there is a big article coming this week uh, on Raúl Jiménez, which has been painstakingly put together, and is a long read on Jiménez, mostly from a Mexican angle. We're working with one of our um, one of my colleagues from the United States. And really delving into him and as his background and motivations and personality and speaking to people who know him very well. So hopefully uh, you guys will enjoy reading that one. Absolutely. Oh, by the way, on the uh, Wolves Women feature you're talking about, there's a lovely video about them and for them on the At Wolves Foundation Twitter feed. Uh, so do have a look at that. And to read all of Tim's articles, you can do so for free for the next 90 days. If you're not already subscribing, go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. Thank you, Tim. It's been an absolute pleasure as ever. We love this every single week. We we just love, love bringing you these podcasts and speaking to these guests. So thank you for joining us on The Molly New View. We'll be back five o'clock in the morning next Tuesday on your regular podcast platform. Thank you for subscribing. Bye for now. 